0: This is day 93 and i'm reading from the niv version of the bible first samuel 7 through 8 john 1 through 3 and psalm 86 okay so don't be alarmed we are going to continue the story of first samuel and we're going to touch on first john and i'll explain why after the reading first samuel 7 So the men of Kirath jerim came and took up the Ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abimnadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the Ark of the Lord. The Ark remained at Kirath jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord, So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtaroths, and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mitzpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mitzpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Israelites heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out at Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth-kar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel and all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Yamil. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, "'This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots.'" He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us, and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone, go back to your own town. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through Him all might believe. He Himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. "'What do you say about yourself?' John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, "'I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. "'Make straight the way for the Lord.'" Now the Pharisees who had sent questioned him, "'Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, "'nor Elijah, nor the prophet?' "'I baptize with water,' John replied. "'But among you stands one you do not know. "'He is the one who comes after me, "'the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie.'" This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that he is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, "'Look, the Lamb of God.' When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, "'What do you want?' They said, "'Rabbi,' which means teacher. "'Where are you staying?' "'Come,' he replied, "'and you will see.' So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon." Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come, his mother said to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding for 20 to 30 gallons. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple— Both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple court, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables and exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and who speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Psalm 86 Hear, my Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God teach me your way lord that i may rely on your faithfulness give me an undivided heart that i may fear your name i will praise you lord my god with all my heart i will glorify your name forever for great is your love toward me you have delivered me from the depths from the realm of the dead arrogant foe are attacking me O god ruthless people are trying to kill me they have no regard for you But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. As we read, Israel is calling for a king. And while we talk about the two kings in 1 Samuel, which will or are Saul and David, I think this is a good time to also introduce Jesus more formally because that's where the whole story is headed. So there's interesting thing about desiring a king. I think the desire for a king that we read about in 1 Samuel 7 and 8 is just innately in our hearts because we desire the priestly messianic king, which is Jesus. But as Samuel said to the people, an earthly king is going to be and bring a problem. And so I think that's so interesting because when I was young, I was like, oh, a king, this is a human king. This is what you know God wanted. But we read in Deuteronomy and we're reading again here that actually like, this is not what God wanted is an earthly king. He wants to be the king. So that's, that's a really interesting aside. But So yes, we've been reading in the narrative order so far and filling in parts of the story that are not necessarily in order, such as Job. And we will continue to do so, so don't be afraid. But when I listen to the Catholic Bible in a Year podcast by Father Mike Schmitz and Jeff Cavins, They pointed out how we would have to wait until like November to hear about Jesus. And since Jesus is so central to the story, I'm going to similarly integrate the four gospels as what they called messianic checkpoints on our way through the rest of the Old Testament. So here we're going to look at the Gospel of John. And St. Augustine describes, and we've been seeing it too, that the New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament and the New Testament reveals and is connected to the Old Testament. So cool. Father Mike Schmitz discusses how John's gospel will connect and fulfill so much of what we've been reading thus far. Basically, all that we've been reading is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the redeemer, the one that fulfills Genesis 3.15. He is the one that crushes the head of the serpent. He is the priest king, the one that can atone the Lamb of God through sacrifice and stand in the gap as the ultimate intercessor between humans and God. Jesus also bears God's name and puts him on display in the most amazing ways. Jesus is also prodigally generous in a way that models these characteristics for us. Jeff Caven describes how all four gospels tell a similar story of Jesus with miracles and so on, but each gospel is also unique. For example, Matthew emphasizes Jesus as the king. Mark emphasizes Jesus as the servant. In Luke, Jesus as a human is emphasized, and here in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus as God. The book of John starts by pointing to the beginning of the story in Genesis and connecting to God himself. So cool. The book of John is also unique because there are about eight miracles, six of which are interesting. Jeff Cavins describes as a little peculiar to John, and there are no parables, whereas in several of the other gospels, this is very common. John is a book that reveals more about who God is, whereas the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, describe what Jesus did. What's neat is how John offers quite a bit of direct teaching to more of a universal audience when compared to other books that emphasize miracles and parables and so on. These first three chapters in John are just so, so good. One note that Father Mike Schmidt shares is to clarify that there are two Johns in this story. John, the beloved disciple, which he often will refer to himself, the one that is believed to have written the book, and there is also John the Baptist. The very first part of this gospel we get that Jesus' identity is God, which really distinguishes him from the other leaders we've been reading about that are prophets, kings, or judges. We also read that John the Baptist is not the Savior, but one of the last prophets leading up to Jesus. Something else to point out is that John the Baptist describes Jesus as the Lamb of God, which is pointing back to the Old Testament where the Lamb was understood as the sacrifice for atonement. Jesus is and will be the sacrifice i think sometimes we might miss this if we just read the new testament because we might read it like the lamb which we probably infer or think about gentleness which jesus certainly is but the point here is that that john is trying to make to the israelites the jewish people is that jesus is the lamb the sacrifice of atonement like we read about in the passover from egypt where it means they will be set free from slavery, the slavery of alienation, dislocation, and sin. While Jesus is for everyone, he picked a family to bless the Israelites in order for them to bring blessing to the entire world. He promised Eve, He promised Abraham. The Israelites carried the rescue mission and the story, the hope, the promise, and then Mary, a daughter of Israel, who the Catholics describe as the New Testament Ark of the Covenant, received the blessing of Jesus to bear him into the world to bring salvation and a blessing. So, in the next six days, this week, we're going to have a closer look at the Gospel of John. Then we'll pop back into the royal kingdom story in 1 Samuel and continue the narrative. And we'll talk about the first king of Israel, Saul. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, through 9-11 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow!